With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramay. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One, part of the Overtime Media Network. Mark Daly here welcoming you on board to the show this week, and I'm not flying solo. Joining me in the house tonight is my friend and co-host Kevin Laramie. Kevin, how's it going? Doing pretty good, Mark. The season is right in front of us. Wow, that went by quickly. It's crazy how the <laughs> offseason goes by quickly, and it goes all straight to Barcelona, and then boom! We found ourselves in Australia at Albert Park for the first race of the season. But no, I'm excited, uh, looking forward to uh, some great F1 coverage and some great storylines. And uh, the offseason went by quickly, uh, but still mm-hmm. had time to recover, to uh, get the, the my, my wedding in order because I'm getting married this year. So a lot of work. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I'm ready for the 2019 season and looking forward to watching hopefully some great racing this year. Absolutely. And uh, I was really pumped up and jacked up and excited to get uh, not only the show done this week, but uh, you know, get into the, the, the practice and qualifying the race itself. But unfortunately, there is uh, some breaking news uh, this evening, and uh, this is uh, quite sad. And uh, I, I'm sure those of you that have been following social media over the past couple of hours will already have seen this. And that is the the untimely and sudden passing of um, uh, race director of Formula One, Charlie Whiting. He uh, unfortunately passed away unexpectedly earlier today. And uh, the FIA has uh, issued a press release in which they have said, FIA director of Formula One, Charlie Whiting, has sadly passed away this morning, 14 March 2019 in Melbourne, aged 66, as a result of a pulmonary embolism three days before the Australian Grand Prix, which will open the Formula One season. He began his F1 career in 1977, working at the Hesketh team, then in the 1980s at Brabham. He has been an integral part of the organization of the FIA Formula One World Championship since he joined the Federation in 1988 and has been the race director since 1997. Now, um, FIA President Jean Tote went on to say that it is with immense sadness that I learned of Charlie's sudden passing. I've known Charlie Whiting for many years, and he has been a great race director, a central, inimitable figure in Formula One, who has embodied the ethics and spirit of this fantastic sport. Formula One has lost a faithful friend and a charismatic ambassador in Charlie. All my thoughts, those of the FIA and the entire motorsport community go out to his family, friends, and all Formula One lovers. And uh, certainly that's a, a sentiment that we uh, we echo here on the show. And yeah, it, obviously it's uh, some very bad news and I really don't know how to really pay tribute to, to Charlie other than to obviously extend our own condolences uh, here on the program, but also to just... Go on and talk about the sport that we love best and in uh, the passion that we have and, and in a respectful manner. So uh, having said that, why don't we do that and just that, Kevin? Yeah, no, I, I agree. And 
it's unfortunate the timing as well and it's it, there's never a right time you're gonna tell me and that is a very mm -hmm. very right uh, that's true that's a fact uh, but we'll see how this influence this is the season as well unfortunately and uh charlie whiting was a beloved figure in the world of formula one was someone of integrity and someone of uh interesting idea and a certain amount of conservatism whatever that word is a certain amount of uh, conservativeness towards rules which gives you a baseline which you can improve from and it's unfortunate as time is passing now in a world of i would say change and almost upheaval in formula one in the next few years with all the different changes coming for 2021 and the world after so uh, charlie whiting will be uh, deeply missed Absolutely. Well, uh, talking about uh, the, the way that Formula One is uh, changing and, uh, and is changing is uh, perfectly embodied uh, by the, uh, the the new Netflix series, The Drive to Survive, which uh, dropped uh, just a couple of days ago. Obviously, and, and not to throw any shade or hate at, uh, at Bernie Ecclestone, but this definitely is not something we would have seen a, a couple of years ago. And uh, for, for those of you that uh, that are subscribers to, to Netflix, and, uh, and and I know a lot of people have uh, sat down and binge-watched them, and I'm putting my hand up because I'm one of those people, <laughs> I thought it was a, a really, really well-done program. There, there's, there's 10 episodes, all ranging from about uh, 25 minutes up to about 45 minutes. And I was really quite interested to see how the series would unfold so for those of you that haven't watched it i suggest that uh, we're, we're gonna or i'm gonna suggest you pause it because there's gonna be a lot of spoilers coming up here so i'm gonna put in the show notes whereabouts we pick it back up on the other side so you might just want to fast forward ahead anyways for those of you that are still with us uh, i'm gonna say i'm gonna talk about a lot of the storylines which you know we, we've all talked about over the past yeah. year or so but it was really <laughs> fascinating to see a lot of these inside stories kevin yeah, it's, I haven't seen this series quite yet, so I'm on that side, but I've watched and talked about the entire season, so it's not like I don't know who's going to win at the end, and what mm -hmm. happened, and who's going to sign with who, it's like, I know, I know Ricardo's going to Renault, and I'm going to see a little bit of the behind the scenes about that, so I am getting excited, uh, I have seen it on Netflix, it's on my list, I've flagged it, but I just haven't gotten around to sitting in front of my television long enough because uh, someone told me that to give it true justice i kind of have to watch it on a big screen and not necessarily on mm. my phone so uh, yeah. i'm gonna have to find the time but i will probably some time uh, when i'm waiting for the season to start in the next couple of hours i'll uh, i'll press the play button on my netflix <laughs> well, Kevin, it's interesting, too, because uh, the, the one thing that for me, no pun intended, was a real red flag was the non-participation of a Ferrari and Mercedes. And I really think that last year was was a pretty epic battle uh, between Ferrari and Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel. And right up to the point where the the, the wheels really fell off uh, the, the, the Ferrari challenge in and around the uh, the Italian Grand Prix at the beginning of September. And from there on, it. it it, it really got off track for them there. So I, I was really disappointed to hear that at first. But then I thought, well, you know, that there is a silver lining to that. And that is obviously without the participation of those two teams and their drivers, anything that they had for those guys would have to be from the whatever the the, the, the media stock that is available for interviews and, and things like that. But 
Uh, on the flip side of that, that meant that they had to dig a little bit deeper and cover a lot of these other stories that maybe weren't as big as and sexy as as Hamilton and, and, and Vettel, you know, fighting it out at the top there for the for the world championship and, and all the storylines that went along with that. But in a way, I think it, it, it does it works well for Formula One because it covers uh, a, a lot of these different stories that maybe didn't get a lot of coverage to maybe your more casual fans. And I think it was really cool too. A, a lot of the insights that uh, that we got from seeing some of the players that maybe don't get as much co- coverage as say a, a Maurizio Arriva Bene or a Toto Wolf from the, the team principal side or a Christian Horner, or then say you're like your Lewis Hamiltons, your Kimi Raikkonen's, you're, you're more quotable Formula One drivers. So it was really kind of cool to see guys like Gunther Steiner and Sarah Abitabul from uh, Renault get to uh, get that uh, get more screen time. Although Christian Horner, uh, you know, being one of the big three uh, team principals, yeah. did get a quite a substantial amount of uh, of time. I mean, Red Bull was really covered uh, quite uh, substantially in all ten episodes. But I thought it was really fascinating to really get uh, more of a look behind the scenes, especially at Red Bull, because you got more of a feeling of the dynamic between. The, the two drivers, you got some more kind of, uh, you know, some things you kind of had to read between the lines at, at times, you know, they wouldn't come out and say it as much, but just the kind of the, the, the dynamic between uh, Verstappen and Ricardo and then the whole contract situation with the Ricardo extending and then just the, how both sides were kind of going at it. So that was really kind of interesting. But then also you had also the, the, the other part, the, the whole, you, you saw the toxicity between Renault and uh, and Red Bull, and it was really quite interesting, you know, as as it went on. And just I, I thought it was really interesting. The 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 one uh, I guess I can't remember was it? It might have been the Austrian Grand Prix. It was in about that time. Anyways, it was when Red Bull had finally made the public announcement that uh, that they decided to ditch Renault and go with the uh, Honda and partner with them going into 2019 and beyond. And just the reaction. Of uh, when when they kind of panned out in just the uh, it was just in one of the press conferences with the team principals and it was kind of awkward because they kind of had the camera outside the media center there and you you had uh, Horner and Abitabul standing next to each other and it was kind of like oh this is a this is an awkward moment but it was interesting then too to see the uh, reactions of the two of them especially as one's talking the other one's listening and especially I thought that uh, Abitabul's reactions in, in sometimes were really priceless especially when when Horner was really kind of uh, he wasn't as maybe as uh, as graphic and as uh, as I don't want to say mean, but you know as disparaging I guess is the right word about uh, the the Renault engines. But while he's uh, talking about going with Honda, but just the reactions and the the the, the body language from uh, a beatable was priceless. But I, I really got more of an appreciation, and I really liked uh, what, what I saw from Cyril Abitabul. But also on the other side, I really like what I saw from Gunther Steiner. I mean, he's a guy that occasionally weighs in uh, from the pit wall during the races. And of course, you know, talking with David Croft and Martin Brundle on Sky Sports. And of course, that's a typical kind of, you know, game day situation. He's kind of just talking about this or that. But it was really interesting. There was the the, the one episode that was really focused on the uh, the, the season that Roman Grosjean had and, and a lot of the problems and the issues that he had, like crashing under the safety car in uh, in Baku and then the first lap spin out where he took out like three or four cars in Spain and then crashing during qualifying in France and all these things and after watching that that that, that episode not only did I come to the conclusion that Grosjean really held on to that seat by the skin of his teeth 
I had more of an admiration for uh, for for Gunther Steiner as well because it would have been easy just to to to, to kick him out the back door, and and bring somebody else to 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 race for Haas in 2019. But you know he recognized he had some hard times, and he also recognized that uh, when uh, Roman is having a a good time and things are going his way, and not all the things that happened were his fault, although quite a number of them were. That, uh, that he kind of stuck by his guy. Because when you look up and down the grid this year, there's only two teams that have unchanged driver lineups. And one is Mercedes with Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas. And the other one is, is, is Haas with uh, with Grosjean and, uh, and Kevin Magnussen. So that was very, very interesting to me. It is interesting. And now I'm gonna probably going to watch it tonight now. I'm getting excited. <laughs> so especially if it's the way I think it is where... Uh, it's not necessarily just chronological. Like I don't want just to know who's going to win and uh, a documentary about that. I want to know about the people behind F1. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what it feels like it is. So I'm excited now to watch this later after the show. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Well, they, they really did a good job because um, obviously the season does start with the, the the beginning of the 2018 season, but it's not chronological. It is, but it kind of isn't. And it kind of jumps forward and backwards and it kind of goes all over the place, depending which 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 thread they're kind of uh, working on. And uh, it was not only just interesting to, to see those uh, kind of stories, uh, but it was also interesting, too, because they had one episode about uh, basically what was happening with Force India and, uh, you know, what with Vijay Malia and the, the, the team going into administration and then being uh, bought out by Lawrence Stroll and his that consortium that uh, that that he led. So that was really interesting, too, because you had that dynamic because that was a bit of a surprise. I mean, Force India last year was disappointing throughout the year because, I mean, they've always been one of these teams that they don't have the big budget. They don't have a lot of the resources that even some of the other midfielders or midfield teams have. But over the years, they've proven that they've been able to do quite a bit despite having less. And so it was kind of interesting because at one point in in that uh, that episode that was quite focused on them, they show the 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 announcement when Otmar uh, Safnauer uh, addresses everybody in the factory or in in their 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 headquarters. And I'm thinking and looking at this building, I'm like, my goodness, this is like the headquarters and factory of a Formula One team, and that doesn't look much bigger or much different than the office complex that that I work in. And I found it especially interesting because one of the earlier episodes dealt with um, well, one of the storylines that we're working on. And the description was was how Williams was fighting to maintain respectability and relevancy in Formula One. And it was really quite interesting because they had like this pre-race uh, meeting at their headquarters at, at Williams, that is. And, you know, you have Patty Lowe and you've got Ross Smedley, you've got Claire Williams, all the bigwigs. And they're basically sitting in the front on this stage in this auditorium and it's packed out. There's a couple hundred people in there. And then you kind of compare that to the situation at, at Force India when they're all up in the air and you've got this guy that comes in from the uh, the administrators, the guys that have been, uh, you know, appointed to, to look after the situation. And the first thing he has to has to stay is that, well, I know most of you are worrying whether or not you're going to get paid on Wednesday. And the answer is yes. And so I, I, I was just kind of like 
comparing the two situations like this doesn't compute you know you got this small outfit here that is uh, although they're in trouble right now have done more with less over the years and then you compare that to their earlier episode that shows behind the scenes at Williams with the team although obviously doesn't have the uh, the, the resources or, or or budget of a Mercedes or a Ferrari has still done very well won many world championships for the drivers and the constructors uh, over the years and they're at the back of the grid and it was just like even even that doesn't make sense because they've got more money to work with than Force India or Racing Point now <laughs> and they're doing so much worse. So it was uh, another one of these uh, situations, Kevin, that was uh, was really, really, uh, <laughs> it was interesting. It was really cool. So uh, like I say, I do uh, recommend that uh, that everybody, if, if you have Netflix, go check it out. You'll You'll really enjoy it. Anyways, I, I do want to touch on a couple more points, but uh, I just want to take a, a quick break here for a couple of uh, messages, and then we'll be back in just a moment. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right. Welcome back. And Kevin, like I was saying just before the break, uh, there are a couple more things I just wanted to touch on uh, before we uh, we move on to the current uh, Formula One news and then preview the Grand Prix this weekend itself. And that's just, I want to just uh, keep pulling on that thread about uh, Force India just uh, before we move on. And that was the the episode that uh, that dealt with uh, Force India and uh, Sergio Perez and Esteban Ocon. of course, doesn't have a seat for this year. <laughs> and he's uh, the, the reserve driver at Williams. But it, it's interesting when, when they kind of replayed a lot of these moments that these two guys have had on the track over the years. And especially last year when they had that first lap coming together at Singapore when uh, Perez, you know, basically punted him off and then later on in the race he drove into uh sergey sorotkin in the williams and did him some damage and and of course when you're uh, producing a series or a film or whatever it might be you know being the producer the director you can kind of twist the story in your own way but uh, <laughs> when when that episode was over honestly i came away feeling sorry for esteban Ocon and thinking that uh, that sergio perez was a real a-hole to be quite <laughs> quite honest well, that's the rumor behind the scenes anyway. So maybe we just uh, got a, some confirmation uh, on with that episode. So I'll make sure that I uh, note of that Perez versus Ocon episode. Yeah. Because it's interesting, too. It'll give us a little behind the scenes of uh, Force India, which this year will be totally different racing point. And now uh, our boy Lance is driving for them. So we'll have a closer look at racing point this year for sure so uh, it'll give me some insight 
<laughs> definitely. But the one thing you will notice, Kevin, is that uh, they, like like I say, the production is, is top class. It, it, it's really fantastic. But the way that they're able to kind of cherry pick the good points out of, uh, out of the season and out of the races themselves are really quite fascinating. Because in the very first episode that focuses more around the Australian Grand Prix, that was that race where Lewis Hamilton was uh, was winning, and then th- th- there was the one where the Hasses had the problems, and both their cars went out because of the botched uh, pit stops, and then uh, you know were shortly retired uh, thereafter. And that was the one that had that virtual safety car, and Sebastian Vettel went into the pits and then managed to pass Lewis Hamilton. And I mean, it was not a great race from from that point of view, obviously, with Vettel winning under those circumstances. But apart from that, there wasn't really a lot of overtaking. But the way that they tell the story, and and the same with uh, with Monaco, because uh, I mean it was a great story. What with Ricardo winning and his MGUK was failing, uh, and eventually conked out during the race, is that they really were able to craft that story and make both of those races, for example, seem really, really more exciting than they than they really were. So, anyways, that's all I really got to say for that. Like I say. Hopefully, for those of you that uh, that haven't seen it yet, hopefully you took my adv- advice and didn't <laughs> didn't uh, ruin it for yourselves. But it's all good. So, Kevin, let's move on now to the um, to the, the the news itself, and uh, let's uh, let's start with Alfa Romeo. Obviously, one of the big uh, stories over the the, the past season was uh, Charles Leclerc going from uh, Alfa Romeo or then Sauber to Ferrari and basically swapping seats with uh, with Kimi Raikkonen and after a very promising first week of uh, of testing which really made it look like Alpha was the 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 best of the rest their second week was not really as uh, as promising or as solid as that first week and as uh, well, Kimi Raikkonen has said that uh, their position going into the first race of the year is uh, a big mystery yeah it is a big mystery but I do feel that it's a mystery to see how high in the middle of the pack they truly are. Not necessarily how low they are. Like, this is not your big brother Sauber. We're talking about Alfa Romero Racing Ferrari here. So, there's a bit more of a collaboration with Ferrari. And there's Kimi Raikkonen coming over with five years of Ferrari knowledge with him. And he's going to give him... Uh, a hand uh, with that chassis, the C38, because he knows that chassis. He was driving it last year. Similar chassis to Ferrari was one. So, for me, Kimi Raikkonen and Anthony Giovinazzi, I'm going to have to get to, I think we're going to call him Gio really quickly. So, Tony <laughs> Gio. Gio rolls off the tongue a lot easier, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Tony Gio. Gio, driver of Alfa Romeo. That's the unknown for me. It's a driver lineup. And that's unfortunate, but because of the good work of Charles Leclerc last year, he's moving on to the big club, the big team, the first team. He's moving on up. He got called up to the big leagues. But uh, Kimi Raikkonen is going to bring the knowledge of the big leagues to Alfa Romeo. And Gio is going to have to prove himself. We've seen it in the past, though, and he's it's been fast at some point. So it's interesting, but there's that's where the unknown is. Uh, I do feel this club, uh, this club. <laughs> this team, I'm getting caught up in my metaphors now. Um, <laughs> uh, I do feel this team is going to continue to progress. And I have a chance, I'm privileged one time uh, during the year to have those team in my city, in Montreal. And sometimes I get the rub shoulders, and especially with Alfa Romeo team. And I'm going to have the opportunity this year again. So uh, I'll let you know what I see 
from up close, but that's uh, six months away. Before, no, not even. Four months away, not even. But for me, Alfa Romeo is my sleeper team to be like a top, maybe top four, top three team for sure. But uh, it is a a mid-pack team, but how high high is it? Yeah, definitely. I think that's one of the big questions this year is that, um, and this is one of the stories that we're going to talk about too, is just the competitive nature of the uh, of the midfield. It seems, at least based on what we've seen in winter testing, is that there is not a lot between the teams that are, are, are the middle of the pack. But the like you were saying just now, Kevin, Sauber, or now Alfa Romeo Racing, is not in the same place that Sauber was two years ago, where they were driving a 2017 car that had a 27 or sorry 2016 engine in it which was a mismatched engine and chassis package that you know that engine was just never designed to go in the back of that car and and Pascal Verlein and Marcus Ericsson just were not able to do anything with that car i mean they performed or badly underperformed the entire year but you fast forward a year and then you have the C37 uh, last year with Charles Leclerc and Marcus Ericsson and still maybe not the best team or sorry the best car on the grid but Charles consistently proved that he could do more with less and I mean not to take anything away from from Marcus Ericsson he had some good races too of course but not as many good ones that, 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 that Charles Leclerc had and it was really, I, I think, uh, tantalizing for a lot of people. And I, I think, obviously, a big surprise to go so quickly from the uh, the position that they were in the year before as basically there to make up the final two spots on the Formula One grid to being a legitimate um, midfield contender. And then you have uh, Frederick Vasseur, the team principal there. I mean, he's got a completely different mentality. And he's certainly moved that team forward in, in a very short uh, period of time. So the big question for me with Alfa Romeo racing this year is where is that uh, that that progress? Are, are they going to be progressing more up the grid? Are, are they going to remain the same or are they going to regress? I mean, the, the preliminary um, uh, results that we've seen through testing is that this team is still moving forward. But how much? Because that, that's always the big question, of course, is all, all these teams are not talking Well, apart from Williams, but they're a, a bit of a, a different case. I mean, all the teams are talking about the progress that they've made in the off season, But, of course, the, the proof comes when you actually get to the first race of the year. It's like, sure, you may have progressed, but how is that uh, progression in, in the development of your car and, and your engine package as well in relation to the other teams that, uh, that you're racing again? Yeah, because you're, not, race, you're not racing against racing. the status quo. You're racing against other teams. Something like you're racing, even if you progress from the car you had the year before, other teams have progressed too. And it's how much they have progressed versus how much you have progressed and who's the new baseline. So, yeah. Well, one team that uh, that we're also going to be watching, of course, is Red Bull Racing Honda. And, of course, uh, like we were saying in the previous segment, uh, the, like the the whole saga as it unfolded and uh, developed uh, behind the scenes was very interesting to watch. But of course, it's it's really going to be the big test now. I mean, they they've been saying over the uh, the off season, Max Verstappen was just saying that uh, that Honda's produced everything that they promised uh, over the winter, and uh, obviously that is uh, very encouraging if you're you're a fan of Red Bull Racing, and. 
we'll 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 see once and for all where this uh, this Honda uh, program actually is with their engines. And uh, I mean, obviously, when they came back into Formula One a couple of years ago with McLaren and the, those couple of years that they had together with them were nothing short of uh, disastrous. And uh, of course, they did not have the benefits that say your Mercedes and uh, Ferrari and uh, and even Renault did uh, with the with having the the, the years to develop uh, these uh, V6 turbo hybrid engines before their introduction in 2014. Obviously, Mercedes got it right, basically right from the go, and Ferrari's made some uh, big gains over the past couple of years, and Renault has been a step behind those big two, but they've been saying even over this winter that they've made some real big performances, the, the most performance in their, or, or gains in their engine performance since 2014. So we'll see if that manifests itself uh, into, uh, into results on the track this coming weekend, but of course, Honda didn't have that. And as we've seen over time, that that was not necessarily all just on them. I mean, it became apparent that despite all the things that Fernando Alonso said, all the things that McLaren said, that obviously the McLaren itself, the chassis, the car was also not as good as, uh, you know, the, the, the McLaren spin and the PR would have had you uh, believe. So we know that Red Bull designed good cars. <laughs> that's that's just a fact. I mean, they've, uh, they've got a design department led by Adrian Newey, and we all know what Adrian Newey is capable of and the amazing cars that he's developed uh, and, and designed uh, over the course of his career. So it's really going to be interesting to see how this uh, Red Bull Honda package go together and whether or not they're going to be ahead of where they are last year or if they're going to be about the same level because that's what Honda was saying last year after they they made the announcement that they were partnering for 2019 was that the aim was that they were going to deliver an engine that would keep Red Bull at least in the place where they were at that time so whether or not they are they're going to be able to do that or move them forward is going to be one that uh, we're, we're going to be look, looking at with a lot of fascination and a lot of curiosity but certainly they're doing things right and i think one thing that was very interesting to me was when uh, ross braun released his uh, book total performance a couple of years ago because he had that firsthand experience with honda and then of course with with braun and then of course that eventually became a uh, mercedes but just the way that uh, that that honda did things all the politics and a lot of overmanagement and things like that they seem to finally be getting it because they, they finally uh, seem to be focusing more on their formula one uh, effort because they actually have a dedicated uh, boss for the Formula One role, and that's uh, Masashi Yamamoto, and he's been part of the program, but he's going to be focusing now solely on their Formula One program instead of just having that being one one of the many different hats that he would uh, would wear. So, Honda seems to be getting uh, getting it uh, slowly. And also, it's interesting, too, because what they've been doing, and uh, of course, they were really trying to develop the car last year and basically using last year's Toro Rosso as a test bed. Uh, and, and that really helped the, um, you know, develop the engine to the point where it is now. But also, their um, power targets that they had for this year has really pushed uh, ExxonMobil, who is the uh, the fuel supplier for, for Red Bull, um, to, to really... Uh, push through all the things that they needed to do with the, the series of upgrades for their fuel that that, uh, that they've uh, worked on over the uh, you know the the, the off season months, and are, are ready and uh, in a position to de- uh, to deliver to the team now than they rather would you know a couple of months say midway through the season. So very very interesting what's going on with Red Bull and and Honda, Kevin. Yep, on if Honda gets it right, it's going to be fascinating too. 
Because they do have a lot of resources, and we've seen in the past when they truly get behind a project and they commit the right resources in the right way, that they can produce some results. Now, with the Mr. Yamamoto in place, they finally have their their own voice, and it's a constant voice, and it's not just a revolving door. I'm exaggerating here, but it's just to illustrate the point. If you get mm-hmm. always different people telling what to do, Eventually, that message, even though you're working your best to deliver a constant message, if it's not the same voice delivering the constant message, you get a bit of missing of that message. Uh, I think this time around, and the the way it looks so far, Red Bull, I think Honda's on the right path. So I think with Mr. Yamamoto, we, we might actually see a lot more progress. And I think you're right with what you said a bit earlier, that... uh and there was more on the shoulders of McLaren too. They had their part of that guilt in the the demise of McLaren the last couple seasons. Definitely, Kevin. And I, I do want to talk a little bit more about uh, Red Bull before we move on, and we'll do that just after this uh, very short pause in the program. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right. Welcome back. Well, Kevin, like uh, I was saying just now, uh, there were a couple more things about Red Bull that I wanted to talk about. And I just wanted to make mention uh, just you used a metaphor before the uh, before the break there. And, uh, you know, coming from the the, the background in the, in the restaurant business that, the, that you have, I want to add in my own metaphor and that uh, just regarding Honda and, uh, you know, prior to this uh, appointment of Yamamoto as, uh, you know, solely in charge of Formula One. And that is too many cooks spoil the broth. <laughs> and I think that was very much the thing. If you get to too many people trying to manage a situation or, you know, it just, uh, you know, you get too many people involved and, and too many different conflicting agendas. And ultimately it, it just doesn't work. And that's, I think the same for, for any business. If it lacks that focus, then it, it manifests itself and, uh, and sometimes not the best way, but just uh, talking about Red Bull themselves, they are working very hard and uh, they are already planning to, to bring uh, their planned updates that they were going to introduce at the Chinese Grand Prix at Shanghai in a couple of weeks. They're moving that forward three races and they're going to be put on the car for the Australian Grand Prix this, uh, this weekend. So, you know, <laughs> they're really coming into uh, the, the, the season, really making a statement that, that they're here to play and they're, they're here to win races. And uh, they're, they're certainly doing everything off the track that they can uh, they can do to put uh, Max Verstappen and Pierre Gasly in the, in the, in the best of circumstances. And they did have some uh, promising results uh, in uh, in winter testing. Week two was not um, as good as week one, but largely that was uh, due to the fact that uh, Pierre Gasly had a couple of uh, crashes in the, in the car, which meant that they didn't get as, uh, get as much track time as they wanted. And then, of course, they had to rebuild the car. And uh, so... <laughs> When they did get back out there, it wasn't in the in the best of circumstances. But you know, the it's 
it, it's interesting to see. I mean, you always see teams, uh, you know, come away from winter testing and then and make the changes that they need to do. And then, uh, you know, some teams, you know, bring those uh, updates to the first Grand Prix and other teams don't. But uh, I, I'm very impressed uh, to see what uh, what Red Bull and Honda are doing right now. I think Red Bull wants to continue on the upward trajectory that they have been on the last couple of years. If you look at the amount of wins every year for the last three years, there was one more every year for Red Bull. And if you get to a point where if they get one more win than last year, it's going to be five, if I'm not mistaken. If you win five races as a team in a year, you're close to a constructor's championship. You just need a couple of other results and you're right there. So I think that they see their driver lineup. They're like, we have two young gun that are going to give us a few years of high reward performance and still not that expensive versus a, a Ricardo or an Alonso or someone to that level. So it's time right now to go all in. And we think we have the right partner with Honda. So we're ready. And it's now, and we want to win. They're going for the championship. Red Bull wants to win this year, I'm sure. Well, you know, the, honestly, Kevin, I think they quietly had a, a fairly decent season last year, despite all the public uh, proclamations that the, 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 the Renault engine wasn't powerful enough and not delivering what they needed. I mean, obviously, um, Ricardo was a little bit fortunate to win the Chinese Grand Prix and probably a little bit fortunate to win in Monaco, considering the fact that uh, he was struggling with the uh, the engine and, uh, and a failing MGUK for most of the race. But then you look in the they, they, they finished very strong. I mean, you could look at Mexico, how, how much power that that engine had compared to, to everyone else. And, and Verstappen won the, that race. They had several very good races at the end of the season as well, where they were a lot closer to Ferrari and Mercedes than they were at the, uh, at the beginning of the year. And that's not all just down to, uh, to the car. I think that they did find more, more power in the, in the, in the Renault engine. And, uh, so it, it definitely was a risky move that they, they took to, uh, to separate from Renault. And of course that was one of the reasons I think that, uh, that Ricardo, uh, was, uh, had in his mind when he was, uh, considering, um, you know, whether he wanted to stay with, uh, with, uh, with Red Bull for, for 2019 and beyond. And of course that was one of the situations that was, uh, you know, covered quite well in the drive to survive series. And uh, Danny Rick was saying just the other day that uh, perhaps the love wasn't there at uh, at Red Bull. And uh, he goes on to say that or, or talk about that it wasn't anything that physically was done, that, you know, he wasn't given substandard, uh, you know, um, uh, equipment at Red Bull. But I think that just the way that the team was being built and shaped there, and even though that there was no public uh, declaration that Max Verstappen was or is their number one driver, I think that's just the way that that situation was. Everybody just kind of knew that Verstappen yeah. is their guy, right? I mean, it's it's just obvious. You don't have to come out and say it, right? Well, for me, you know what it is? Is uh, Ricardo wasn't the shiniest new toy, right? Mm. There was a new toy that was a bit shinier and and really brand new compared to the other one, like a fresh, young new toy that has a lot of potential. And gave you quick results as soon as you bought it. Like you start playing with your toy and it gives you an immense amount of pleasure the first time with a big win in Spain. So, yeah. Then you look at the other toy like, okay, yeah, you're still with us. Yay. Cool. Go team. 
But that new toy is so shiny. It's so beautiful. <laughs> it catches your attention. You're like, oh, man. Oh, yeah. Hi, Danny. Hi, Max. Oh, wow. It's so beautiful. So, yeah, I think there's a little bit of that. I think that's what he means by uh, but yeah. the love was not there. Is uh, There was not as much enthusiasm for his presence versus Verstappen. Yeah, and then also just the the, the reports just said uh, that uh, that the Max got this huge new deal before the season, and just I think it was just a lot a lot of little things. And then I also found it uh, interesting that uh, that over time that you know obviously Christian Horner has been very critical about Renault not just last year but basically for you know the past three four years to the point that uh, you know Abitabul was saying oh yeah we know what he's all about and we stopped listening to Christian Horner whining years ago um, but you know the other thing is too that uh, that uh, there there were a couple of times last year just on the race radio and, and Hungary is a perfect example is that when the uh, when the, the the engine failed in uh, Verstappen's car he had a expletive laden uh, rant on on race radio but the thing was that Ricardo was always very careful in what he said. You know, he said he'd be disappointed about circumstances that were beyond his, his control that were costing him races and, and results and points and things like that. But he never really came out to say that, you know, the Renault engine is a pile of bleep or whatever it might be. And uh, I, I think it's very interesting because I think he was very careful in not uh, burning any bridges because, you know, obviously as he saw the, uh, the, the team slowly taking shape and focusing more around Max Verstappen, he sees an opportunity with, uh, with Renault, who's one of the biggest car manufacturers in the world has a, a bigger increased budget to work with with 20 for 2019 is a manufacturer that's been successful in uh, winning races not only as an engine supplier but also as an engine supplier and manufacturer and they've done it they've got the track record and to me it's not just a question of if they're going to win again in formula 1 it's a question of when the question is how yeah is is exactly that is is when are they going to be able to put all the pieces together because you know they were saying that they thought it was going to take about 5 years before they were uh, going to be competitive and in the the, uh, the the position to be on the podium and winning races again so we're getting pretty close to that time frame now but you know if you're you're Danny Ricardo you're thinking okay well you know, I'm I'm at that right age. I'm on the just on the right side of 30, and I've got a, a pretty good uh, resume for all the years that I've spent uh, at Red Bull. Why not go uh, to uh, to uh, to to Renault and uh, and see if we can do that? Because he's going from the situation where he knows, even if it's not said, that he's not going to be the top guy. Where he's going to uh, to Renault, and you know, no disrespect to. Uh, Nico Hulkenberg, but he doesn't have the the, the resume and the accomplishments that uh, that Danny Ricardo has in Formula One. I mean, he's the longest serving driver in Formula One not to have a podium finish. So, you take that to all the races and podiums that uh, Danny Ricardo's had since uh, 2014, 2015, and I mean, it's a it's a vastly different thing. So, a very interesting situation to watch there as well. Mark, you can teach someone to be fast on a racetrack. That that's teachable. You don't teach how to win. You either win. Or you don't. Yep. And uh, we've seen twice this year. It could have been a lot more, too. Where Danny won. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he's the first, He's the one who gets Renault their first win as a manufacturer in a long time. Well, he's playing with the big boys now because so, he's signed with the... Uh 
the agency that uh, represents uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and a, a lot of the very well-known athletes, not just in, in European football, but also in the NBA and 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 a lot of household names. So he he's playing with the you know he's an alpha dog amongst uh, alpha dogs. So it's going to be interesting to watch what uh, what Danny Ricardo is going to do at uh, at uh, at Renault. But Kevin, uh, moving along now from uh, fr- from that uh, Ferrari is. Um, I don't know even really what to make about this, but Ferrari's new management is actually being positive about the proposed changes for, for 2021. I mean, in the past, anytime that there was any hint of changes to anything in Formula One, regardless if it was positive or negative, Ferrari's almost default reaction is, well, no, we're done. We're pulling out of Formula One. <laughs> so to, to hear them talking about the, you know, the positive um, you know, changes or having a positive attitude to, towards it, especially about the redistribution of prize money and proposed budget caps and things like this, you know, honestly, it's, um, I'm having a hard time registering this, to, wow. <laughs> to be fair with you. They're seeing that they're reading the tea leaves, as we say. We know they get what 150 million before every season starts. They get that just because they're Ferrari. Yeah, because they they got that historical status or whatever it is. You're correct. Yeah, and they know that that's not sustainable. That that's going away real, real soon. If you're Liberty Media, you're good. That cuts in your profit, like real, real quick in the season before it starts. So you want to probably eradicate that. So Ferrari's not stupid. They're like, yeah, so we're probably going to lose it all if we don't do nothing about it. How about we negotiate a way that we still get a little sum, at least, and then maybe we can share a bit. Yeah, very interesting because, uh, you know, I'm not really used to, to, like I say, to seeing that sort of thing happening. And, well, I mean, let's just put it from, from a bargaining point of view. Okay, you can dig in your heels and play hardball, but... If you're going to be a little bit more flexible and open towards the change, you know, my guess is that they're going to get the you know, liberty is going to be more favorable towards giving them a you know a better deal rather than them kind of that's <laughs> true being aggressive right right from the very beginning. But you know, it's interesting too because you know you you have Ferrari unexpectedly being so. Uh, flexible and willing to to go into these changes, which have been you know stalled and not really moving along. I mean, Ross Braun was complaining about it uh, not so long ago. He was, he was saying that although that the that the changes in reaction from the different stakeholders in in Formula One were were positive, that the the the, the progress that they were actually making was uh, basically glacial and non-existent. So he was getting a little bit frustrated there. But just on the flip side of, uh, of that, you know, Christian Horner at, uh, at Red Bull is saying that uh, Formula One has to deliver if they want to keep Red Bull in, in, in Formula One. And I find this really kind of interesting from a, a team that exists solely for the purpose of racing in Formula One. Because if they're not in Formula One, they have no reason to exist, period. Well, and yeah. I, I, I can understand like their point of view that it's got to be favorable. It's got to be something that they want to partake in. But it's not like, you know, Red Bull's manufacturing cars on the side or or racing, say, in uh, endurance cars or Indy or something like that. So I, I find it kind of interesting. And, and, and this is also isn't the first time that uh, that they've made this suggestion either. He's, he's made it at least once, if not twice, over the past couple of years every time. And this is not just with the Liberty Media. I think it was even uh, going going back to the previous regime under uh, Ecclestone as well, that this is, you know, a semi, I guess, uh, a sporadic and uh, not too unusual or unexpected uh, statement from from Christian Horner. I take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. But as well, I am a bit disappointed by it. And if I'm Liberty Media, 
I'm gonna thread really carefully here because <laughs> Red Bull is not bigger than Formula One. Formula One is bigger than Red Bull. And if you yeah. start hyping teams as bigger than the than, than yourself, then people are gonna start perceive you differently, and eventually one team like Ferrari, Red Bull will move to another league or another new circuit or call it whatever you like. And then Formula One is not Formula One anymore. And then you lose the title of the most evolved or fastest racing on earth, right? And that that's a slope that's really slippery really quickly. And if you're Formula One, you have to take a stand and be like, we are the gold standard. You don't decide. We decide. You take part in our rules. We don't bend the rules around you. Absolutely, Kevin. And it, it is interesting, too, that, uh, you know, to, to, to hear that uh, that statement from Red Bull. And then uh, obviously, too, when you when you hear some of like the proposed changes, you know, what with the, you know, the bigger wheels and also like some of the uh, arrow changes, you know, they're, they're saying that uh, there's going to be, uh, you know, the proposed arrow rules for 2021 and beyond is going to reduce the d- dirty air by uh, quite a significant amount, which in theory should uh, lead to, to more uh, competitive uh, racing and more chances uh, for, for overtaking. So, of course, the, the, the final version, the final package uh, needs to be uh, approved and, uh, and, and uh, you know, implemented uh, you know, by, uh, by Formula One and agreed upon by all the stakeholders. But it, it, it's been, I'd say, fairly interesting and I think uh, fairly positive what's been uh, put out there. And certainly Formula One would be, uh, you know, I, I think it would be uh, less without uh, Red Bull. So hopefully they find a solution that, uh, that works and, uh, and it works for Red Bull as well and uh, that they're going to be around uh, for a while to come. Unlike ourselves, who are just going to take a a quick break here before we head into the final lap of the show this uh, week and start uh, taking a a look at the Australian Grand Prix this weekend in Melbourne. So don't go away. We'll be back after this very short break. All right, welcome back for the very last segment of this week. We're now on the penultimate lap of this episode of this Australian Grand Prix Eve here on Scuderia F1. And just before we just uh, talk about uh, the the, the race itself, just a a couple more um, items of news just to touch on uh, briefly. And of course, uh, you know, over the past couple of weeks, you know, we've had news that that there's uh, several races that are up in the air for next year. uh, Mexico is uh, being one of them because they're not going to get the state backing. Of course, the British Grand Prix, they exercise their option to break their contract early. So there's no certainty on uh, whether or not they'll be racing at, uh, at Silverstone. And uh, Liberty's uh, kind of uh, been uh, pointing the, uh, the the finger at uh, Bernie Ecclestone for creating some of the problems that uh, that they're facing as they attempt to renew the, the, the race to contracts uh, for a lot of these uh, different venues around. Uh, and uh, obviously, uh, Silverstone is one of them. But I mean, it, it's a different there, there, there's a new sheriff in town, obviously, with Liberty. And they've been around for a couple of years now. And uh, they're sort of having to deal with the existing agreements that were in place before they can start doing what they want to do with Formula One. And of course, as contracts expire, then of course, they're going to have to, to do something with that and, and try and get it resolved one way or the other, either get these races to come back and, and re-up for X number of years or, you know, sever ties with them and, and find a, a replacement for it. But I think uh, it is kind of interesting, just their approach. They seem to be a lot more flexible. I mean, <laughs> compared to Bernie yeah. Ecclestone, it was kind of like... You know, I was well, going to use the word transparent. 
Yeah, that's what they seem to yes. be. <laughs> they, they seem to be a lot more transparent. Bernie yeah. Ecclestone's it was handshake behind a shed somewhere with no one looking with an exchange of envelopes. I'm not saying it was illegal, I'm just saying it's shady. So when I look well, at Liberty was, Media, it feels more yeah. uh, more corporate and a bit more legit. But anyways. Yes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And the thing is with the with Ecclestone too is like basically he would dictate the terms of uh, what uh, you know what it would cost for uh, you know a, a track to host a Formula One race. And basically, uh, you know, his attitude was, well, you know, we don't have to come and race here if you don't want to pay up. Then you know that's that's your problem. It's your loss rather than uh, than than ours. And of course, what was good for or what was agreed upon with one uh, with one ra- racetrack with Bernie was not necessarily the template that would be used for for all of them. So. Of course, as these uh, deals uh, expire, you know, uh, <laughs> there's going to be all sorts of different issues that they're going to have to uh, face as, uh, as each one uh, gets dealt with. But, you know, certainly I, I find it difficult uh, to sort of comprehend um, or kind of see a Formula One without some of the iconic tracks like Silverstone or Monza or Spa, Francochamps, some of these like historic tracks. I mean, as cool as it's going to be to go to places like Vietnam and I mean, obviously Miami's off the table, at least uh, for the for the short or, or medium term future. You know, I, I think it is part of the uh, the, the the heritage and the uh, and the, uh, the the genetics of Formula One to, to race at some of these uh, historic uh, tracks. So. Anyway, so we'll see how these uh, unwrap uh, over time, but uh, certainly <laughs> they've got a lot of uh, uh, work uh, to, to do to get these uh, sorted out. But, you know, Kevin, um, you know, as uh, the, the show starts to, to wind down for this year, of course, it is the, the, the very first race at uh, Albert Park uh, track in Melbourne uh, this weekend. And, uh, well, I... I I'm not sure what to, to, to predict, obviously not uh, having uh, seen the cars in action this year. Of course, it's going to be a bit of a surprise uh, for, for all of us. But uh, just in brief, just a, a little refresher. It's a, a 58-lap race. Albert Park is a 5.3-kilometer-long circuit. Race distance is 307.574 kilometers. And the uh, the lap record is a 124.125, and that was set by Schumacher way back in 2004, and that was Michael, not Ralph. And <laughs> the uh, last year's, um, <clears throat> uh, oh, actually I lost it, but uh, Danny Ric- uh, Ricardo had the fastest lap uh, last year, and that, of course, that was uh, the, the race that was uh, won by Sebastian Vettel. Lewis Hamilton was in second, and Kimi Raikkonen uh, finished in third, and uh, Danny Ricardo finished just off the, the, the podium in his home race uh, for uh, Red Bull Racing. So, Kevin, obviously it's, it's a bit of a guess at the moment, but based on what we saw in testing, that Ferrari, at some suggestion, was that if you corrected for fuel loads and tires and everything else, that uh, on a level playing field that the uh, the prediction was that they are about half a second per lap quicker than uh, Mercedes. That's what Lewis Hamilton was saying. Mattia Bonato, team principal at Ferrari, was saying it was less than that, that they were about even. So my takeaway from that is that people in sports tend to exaggerate a little bit. I think <laughs> Lewis is exaggerating the the, the deficit a little bit uh, too much. I think that uh, Bonato is also he's understating it a little bit. So I think that the uh, that the gap is a lot closer 
to um, uh, Ferrari and uh, Mercedes. I don't think it's a half a second. I don't think they're even like Bonato was uh, suggesting. I think the Ferrari is a little bit uh, you know faster. I think Bonato and company are keeping their cards close to to the chest. So I think they do have a slight advantage over Mercedes, but not by much. That that's my prediction, anyways. I don't disagree at all, but I've learned over the last what since 2016 we did this show almost yeah since 2016 yeah yeah fourth season uh, until until I see Lewis Hamilton and a Mercedes not win in the first Grand Prix I'm gonna predict them because there's a very high probability that I'm gonna be right so <laughs> Lewis Hamilton and the Mercedes Mercedes will be uh, in their my prediction for Albert Park. But there's more chance that maybe there's a closer finish or there's actually battles. We'll see. But until you beat, like, to be the man, you got to beat the man. And so far, I haven't seen someone beat the man uh, since Rosberg. So. Yeah, well, that that's true, right? And I, I that's exactly my feelings as well, is that despite all the gains that Ferrari have seemed to have made over the offseason, again, it has to come down what happens uh, on the track. And uh, I, I just have a feeling, too, that Mercedes is going to win this weekend. And I think it's, um, I don't think it's a true indication, though, of what the season's going to be, based on nothing other than uh, pure instinct <laughs> and my gut feeling. But, you, you know, it, it is really interesting, too, because until... Ferrari or Red Bull or whoever can consistently beat Mercedes, you have to favor Mercedes because just they've won 75 or 72, I think it is, out of the last 100 races since 2014. So, I mean, that is an absolutely mind-blowing uh, statistic. It is uh, completely unprecedented in the sport. But, you know, that, of course, is, is one thing. But the, 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 the other thing is, too, is that over the past several years is that every time that Mercedes has stumbled or they seem to have been at a bit of a uh, disadvantage compared to uh, Ferrari, that they've really just buckled down and uh, applied themselves and worked hard and come back and then been way better for it. I mean, we look at it, I think it was uh, in uh, at Montreal two years ago, or sorry, it was at Monaco uh, two years ago. They, they they didn't qualify well. They were nowhere in the race. And, uh, you know, they go away for two weeks and they come back to uh, Circuit Gilles Villeneuve in, uh, in Montreal and they're absolutely dominant. And that was the turning point in 2017. And, you know, you see over the past couple of weeks in preseason testing, everybody's gushing about Ferrari. I mean, they're, of course, a little bit more uh, measured and a little bit more conservative in, uh, you know, their assessment of what uh, what happened in testing. But to me, when I when I see that, I just get that uh, that feeling that uh, McLaren, sorry, not McLaren, but uh, Mercedes is going to go away from that uh, from that and, and just do what they need to do to improve the car. And uh, and make the uh, you know do what they need to do to to um, basically eliminate that uh, deficiency. Of course, the big difference seems to be in the front wing, whereas uh, Ferrari has a different design than Mercedes, and uh, they've actually been saying that they're not opposed to going that route. Although it would take several months, uh, and it might not be able to to be something that they roll out till to, to, to mid season. So. Can they do that? So using the, uh, the the type of front wing that they've developed now, which is uh, uh, different and uh, supposedly not quite as good as Ferraris? Good question. But, of course, until uh, they can be proven to be beaten week in and week out, I'm just really not in the position to, to really bet against them, Kevin, much like yourself. No, no. So my prediction for the year before we wrap the show, Mark, 
I know it's not the most casual, but it's the first show of the year. You know, 2019 is coming. I predict Mercedes will win the Constructors' Championship. And I predict Lewis Hamilton. Yes, those are boring predictions. But until <laughs> I see otherwise, like, uh, come back in a few races. Let Make sure you listen to the show. And I'll yeah. tell you how I feel in the next couple of shows. Because if a... If I see Lewis Hamilton not win and not perform great and I see another team rise and uh, take over and, you know, I say another team and then it's just Ferrari because you never know. Maybe Red Bull is fast and maybe Red Bull's going to surprise us all. Who knows? You never know. It's a new season. Sometimes you never know. There's Braun GPs and, you know, oh, wait, wait, that's 10 years ago. Mm, a decade after Braun GP comes out of nowhere and wins. Maybe we're due for a new one. Maybe we have a new Braun GP. Maybe Renault is Braun. That's not out of nowhere. But you know what I mean. Well, that, that's a great thing about uh, this time of year is that we can make pull any prediction we want out of the hat and we can either nail it or can be completely off base. But, uh, you know, it, it's always a fun time of year to, to, to think about these sorts of things because it really is uh, speculation. And, of course, uh, the, the other big question that uh, a lot of people have is, uh, you know, where is Lewis Hamilton at uh, mentally? Because, I mean, he really doesn't have anything left to prove in Formula One. I mean, he's, he's a five-time world champion now. He holds all so many records. I mean, the only ones he's really chasing down are the last couple that, uh, that Schumacher has. And, of course, uh, the, the big one is the seven world championships. So, I mean... He's uh, got a legit shot to uh, to win two more to to be tied with Michael for seven and you know possibly even eight. But there's going to be a lot of guys out there, and obviously Sebastian Vettel is going to be one of them. Max Verstappen, if he's got a competitive car, is going to be another that are going to try and uh, do everything that they can to prevent that. And uh, I mean, of course, Vettel himself is a four-time world champion, and and he's coming off what was a very rough second half of 2018. So. He's got a lot to prove himself, and uh, I think that uh, that he's really going to want to make a statement uh, early in the year and and set a lot of the things that went wrong right uh, for for this season. And of course, uh, another thing is when when people question, you know, where where Lewis is uh, mentally and where, where he is motivation wise. It's just <laughs> again, I find it hard to uh, to say that he's not going to be able to, to to get it done. I mean, there there's been the odd case here and there over the years where he didn't look 100% dialed in for a race or maybe two here or there but those instances are very far and and few between I mean uh, since he went into uh, retirement has done some uh, you know a television and commentary and punditry for uh, Formula One his ex-teammate and also a world champion Nico Rosberg he's come out and said that you know he's mentally he's the toughest guy, toughest guy Lewis that is is the toughest guy that uh, th there is in Formula One and he's not a guy that you want to let get into your head so you know it, it, <laughs> he's got a lot of things going for him and uh, of course you know it, it, it really is in his favor and uh, of course I would really like to see somebody else challenge him I don't really care if it's Sebastian Vettel or if it's uh, you know Max Verstappen or if it's Danny Ricardo in the uh, in the uh, in the Renault it would just be exciting, I think, that even if it comes down to them winning at the end of the season, it would just be, uh, I think, refreshing to see in Formula One, just to, to see more competitive races, see a little bit more parity. And if at the end of the year there's some big epic battle that goes on between now and November or whatever it is when the season ends in Abu Dhabi, he wins it, fine. But if it's exciting between now and then, that would just make it uh, all that much uh, more sweeter. I agree with you, Mike. 
All right, Kevin. Well, I think that's a, a good place to, to end the show this week. Uh, I should just also mention, due to popular demand, we have started a Formula One Fantasy League. So if you want to get in on that, go to our Twitter feed at Scuderia F1 Pod. Follow the link there and sign up. So let's have a little bit of fun with this. I suck at fantasy sports because I never take the time to manage my team. So if you want to be one of the hosts here on the show and gloat about it, I suggest you get in on that and we'll I'll have go. a little bit of fun with that. So I'll do it too. I'll do it. You'll do it too. There we go. I'm not that good at it, but you can beat me too. So come in, beat me. <laughs> Here we go. Let's uh, let's see. We're, we're, we're playing for pride now. So please, by all means, uh, come in and, uh, and join in on the fun. And, of course, if you want to get in touch with, uh, with us, like I say, Twitter is the best way at Scuderia F1 Pod. You can also send us an email at Scuderia F1 Pod at gmail.com. And, Kevin, that's it. That's all I've got. And uh, on behalf of myself and Kevin Laramie, thank you for very much for listening. And we'll talk to you again this week. And we'll be talking Australian Grand Prix, first race of the year. Hope you all enjoy it. And we'll talk to you again soon. listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com.